0: Welcome everybody to Broadcast Team Alpha, where we bring you cutting edge, edge, edge conversation while exploring the quantum possibilities. And we're going to do it again tonight. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy our guests that Augie is going to tell you about. But first, I'd like to thank you for being here. Thank you for the lively chat that always goes on in the chat room. Thank you for your super chats. Thank you for your love and support. Hope you had great holidays. And, you know, for 2024, you might consider joining us over at The Mastermind Connection. It's a meeting that happens on Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Augie likened it to a spiritual think tank. I liken it to a container for global manifestation. It's really fun. It's really relaxing. We do a beautiful visualization slash meditation for all of the wonderful things that we are helping to bring about in this new world. If you would like to join us, send an email to the connection at gmail.com. Augie will send you the link. You can come hang out with us. The second hour, if you want to stay, we conversation where we watch a video and uh and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you can find out about when you come but i don't want to take up any more time uggy please tell us oh before i just want to do a shout out shout out to our friends over at the conscious awakening network So I want to let you guys know, I'm going to be co-hosting over there for the month of January. Why? Because it is my favorite topic. It is health, healing, and well-being month. We're going to have uh, every Monday have a guest. And on the 27th, we're going to have a conference with really, really powerful guest speakers. So be sure to join us over there. And now, Augie, please tell us about our guest.
1: Oh, yes, this is going to be fun. And uh, we have a gentleman in here with us. uh, It's David Adair. And he's a legend in his own time. (laughs) He's been a scientist, uh, at least studied science since he was about that tall, maybe around six six years old. And uh, he was a child prodigy. At, at six years old, he, he was out playing around and running bicycles and stuff like other kids a lot. He was at the library reading science books at six years old. Now, that, that's kind of a little early. But at 17 years old, he built a supersonic rocket. Now, there, as most of us know, there's only two types of rockets. And that is the one with solid fuel and the one with liquid fuel but he created another kind that has never been done before. And he's going to explain about that. And that rocket, that uh, caught the eye of the military. And they took him to Area 51. And he got introduced to some very powerful and very well-known scientists. And he's worked with the astronauts and the, the most prominent scientists in the world. And for the next hour, He's with us. So we're gonna pick his brain and welcome to the show, David. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Welcome, David. Wow. What a life you have lived. Wow. I know. So six years old, you're already dabbling into the unknown. How did that begin? I mean, how did it how did it actually take root? How did um How did you uh, get traction from six years old to where you are now? Was there a couple of things that yeah happened? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, um, I was born in Welch, West Virginia, in District 10 of the Pocahontas Coalfields. My dad started out as a uh, coal miner. My grandfather, my mother's father, was the mine superintendent. And that's significant that's like being a governor of the area and he owned the company store the old song mm-hmm. i sold to the company store well my grandfather mm-hmm. owned it
0: <laughs> so
2: yeah. um, it, he was very powerful and influential obviously but i went down to the local library and i went over to the 600 section which is all the technical books calculus physics trigonometry things like that and I would pull a book out and I'd sit on the floor in the corner because I didn't want to take a chair because an adult might come in. And mm. they just I mean, you're a child. In 1954, you got a whole lot to say. So I'd be sitting in the corner reading and the librarian, Mrs. Hunt, came in and she was about mm. 75 years old. And she was looking at me. She walked over to me and she said, are you reading them books? And I gave an answer, but... It may have sounded sarcastic, but I didn't mean it. I said, well, there's no pictures in it, so I must be reading them. she just looks at me and goes, hmm. And I thought, oh, God. So she asked me, how much of these books do you remember? I said, every single page in every single book. Wow. She said, well, how many have you read? All of them. The entire 600 division? Yeah, every bit of it. So she looks up and reaches over top of me and grabs the book and pulls it out flips it open and she says on page 93 what does it say I said well it would help to have the title I'm not <laughs> I'm not clairvoyant and I'm yeah uh, she said do you know what I mean that word I said yeah i I, I read it so she said uh singularities in the entirety and I like oh yeah that was a good book um Let's see you're on page 93. Ah, you're at the event horizon. The event horizon is the name of the opening of the black hole. And anything going mm-hmm. into a, a event horizon could be stretched theoretically for millions of miles and still be intact. And she's wow. book shut, and she goes, verbatim word for word. So she puts it back on the shelf. She says, Are you through reading the books? I said, Well, I've read everything that's in here. Would you like to get another book? I said, I, I'm just six years old. You know, <laughs> people can't even order a book around this place. But okay. so she, she said, come back tonight at 8 o'clock. Have your mother bring you. So my mother took me to back to the library at 8 o'clock. Mrs. Hunt pulled me up to the other girls. It was all girls. They were all librarians. And she said, David here is going to be our new librarian.
0: Wow.
2: <laughs> I am. So okay. I became a librarian, and the one of the little uh, perks, you can order as many books as you want for free.
0: Aww.
2: So she said, "What a
0: gift!" Yeah, she mm-hmm. said,
2: "Order," she said, "Order away, but don't tell anybody, your family, mm-hmm. nobody about this." She said, "I'll lose my job, and you'll be uh, ostracized." And you know that word? I said, "Yes, I do." Yeah. So I started ordering books, and I got. Everything that was written at the time on um, quantum physics, differential mechanics, uh, black holes, singularities, um, all that was available. And that wasn't a whole lot, but it turned out to be several hundred books. So I read them all, and I was looking at it, and there was another area of books that I ordered. And see, along with this, is what we call theoretical science. Now, where it gets good is when you have to go from theoretical science to applied science. Applied Mm -hmm. science is where somebody thinks something up, but they pull out the toolboxes, roll up their sleeves, and build the damn thing. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to do both. I had both theoretical and applied science capabilities. So I started reading applied science on uh, tutorial compressors, Um, everything on nuclear energy you could imagine. So I combined the two, and then I realized I'm in a perfect position to start working with um, a different type of engine, as you would say. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go liquid fuel. I didn't want to go solid propellant. They don't have the power I'm looking for. So what I did, I built an engine that I could detonate a nuclear chain reaction and contain it. And people go, wait a minute. If I understand right, you're talking about, you're going to detonate an H-bomb and contain it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he goes, well, there's no material on Earth that could withstand a H-blast, you know? I said, well, you're right, it's not material. It's, uh, it's electromagnetic force fields. Well, wait a minute, how's that work? That's not possible. Oh, really? What in the hell is a black hole? It pulls up next to a sun, which, what is the sun? Hundreds of millions of atomic bombs going off continuously, simultaneously. And Mm -hmm. the black hole pulls up next to it, sucks it in, it's gone. We don't ever see it ever again. So the black hole don't have any trouble containing it. So what are you talking about? You build an artificial black hole and detonate an H-bomb inside it and contain it. Electromagnetic fusion containment. That's the name of the engine. And I found Mm -hmm. out that uh, millennials can't handle that name for the engine. So they shorten it down (laughs) and a really quite brilliant name. It's technically correct, but very short. They call Mm -hmm. it a star in a jar. That's (laughs) exactly what it is. It's a star that I artificially create and I slam the atoms together through a very similar process to fusion reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward Diller came up with that and um and so you detonate an h- bomb and it's contained inside this field. Where I differ from everybody else on these fields, everybody's using uh, I mean everybody, NASA, harp, uh, um, uh, Los Alamosas, um, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, everybody they're using. Tutorial compressors. That Mm -hmm. one that won't work. They only got half of the problem solved. It takes two combined together. And when you can combine them together, the two colloidal compressors, they a friend of mine, what's it look like? It it looks like two octopuses having sex. And Mm -hmm. uh all the different tentacles be 16 of them. They're interwrapping and interrounding, and that's how the plasma is flowed to set up wow. the electromagnetic magnetic fields.
0: Wow. And
2: inside there, and, and once a figure eight turns sideways in mass? infinity. So this thing is chasing its own tail. It's an old ancient um, Chinese uh, legend: let the dragon chase its own tail, and yeah. so it's always self-contained. And when I detonated the, uh, the isotopes, deuterium and uh, there's some other isotopes I can't release for proprietary reasons, but it will detonate. You contain the field, and, um, and there you have it. You contain it. You have the power of the sun right there in front of you, and you can tap it at will through protobeams and through the plasma fields and you can, you got the power of the sun for a, a rocket engine. Imagine a power that's this on that thing. Mm-hmm. Well, because, uh, I'll give you an idea. When I launched it on June 20th, 1971, at White Sands Proving Grounds. It's called Proving Grounds, not Testing Grounds like today. Because we're going way back. Uh, back in 1971, I launched that rocket out there and... <laughs> It, it left, and everybody thought it exploded on the pad because of the big explosion. Couldn't see anything leave. And I told everybody, I said, you're not going to be able to see this rocket leave. It's only got two speeds, off and wide open. <laughs> There's no way to throttle it. So it left, and everybody thought it blew up, but it didn't. And we found it at 125 miles altitude above us, and it was moving up Mach 37. Now, Hmm. we're just barely getting to Mach 3 today. Mach 3. So I'm I'm more than 10 times past this speed. We're at Mach 37. I did 125 miles altitude in 3.2 seconds. The rocket was on fire when it was leaving. You know, when something comes back in the atmosphere at 5,000 miles an hour, it starts the uh, mercury capsules, the Gemini capsules, capsules. All the capsules had bladed shields that would burn away and they're on fire coming in. My rocket was on fire leaving. It was going so fast the atmosphere could not get out of the way fast enough. So it got temperature, re-entry temperatures at ascension. That's mm. fast, y'all. That's that's it's mind-bogglingly really fast. And really, this type of mechanism isn't even supposed to be launched from Earth. Yeah. It should be launched yeah. out. A, a gravity field like L5, somewhere between the Earth and the moon, gravitational tides are neutral, and you fire from there, and, oh, man, I mean, you would be out of the solar system probably less than five minutes. Hmm. Oh. That's, that's nine billion miles. So, hmm.
1: man. not
2: too bad. Uh, but this thing could went, it, I just didn't have time they went another way with it. i I was one I was trying to build you not just a rocket engine. I'm trying to build you a power plant, a new type of energy source. You could set one of these reactors down and you could power an entire continent with it with a piece of fuel that's no bigger than your thumbnail. Lasts five hundred years. And mm-hmm. you know what? they just don't seem to like that idea. <laughs> they grumbled about it. a guy named Nikolai Tesla was a problem. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm in good company. So anyway, <laughs> okay. um, that's that's pretty much my story in a nutshell, but that's just the beginning because then they, yeah. had, they had the rocket. Now,
1: let me uh, ask you this. When you gave them this technology, do you know what they have done with it? Or is there anything done with it?
2: Uh, nothing's really been done with it because... Uh, right before they pretty much kidnapped me at white sands and took me to a place called groom lake nevada that's the only name i knew it by which today y'all call area 51. but when they took me to groom lake i called my dad and told him to light his pipe and take it easy that was a code that we had talked about earlier so when i told him to light his pipe he went out to the lab and he burnt everything that i ever created burn all the models, all the drawings, all the blueprints, everything, uh, prototypes. So when the dark SUVs showed up, all they found was an irate drunk man in the backyard with a bunch of smoldering ash. And so all of that was gone. Then I just had to blow away my only prototype up on the desert floor of uh, Groom Lake. Once I got that done, which I did get it done, then the only thing left is what's in my head. If I can hmm. take myself out, which is not going to be that hard, um, then you've got nothing to work with. That's why you haven't. Seen it. They've only got half the, only half of the, um, of the design right. They need the other half, and uh, hmm. they haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. But <laughs> that's their problem. Now you have also developed
1: several other projects, like the. I know you're on one of the videos. You talk about seven projects that you have developed. Maybe right. you can mention some about those, and one particularly that both Nori and I are really interested in. That is the, the space hospital.
2: Yeah, see, that's people think it'd take a thousand years to build something like that. No, it. We've already went past it. Do you know when a space shuttle got to the edge of space, do you know what the orbiter, which is uh, what you call the space shuttle, it has to push down on the external tank. So the external tank will drop on into the atmosphere, get slowed up by the atmosphere, and then breaks up on re-entry and sinks to the ocean in the Indian Ocean, and it's gone. I wouldn't do that with mine. With my shuttles, I would have the orbiter, the space shuttle, get away from the external tank let the external tank take its own trajectory in simple newton laws an object in forward motion will continue on a forward motion until acted upon by an external force uh so opposite in reactions Mm -hmm. simply put the external tank would float right on into low earth orbit and i'd park it there Mm -hmm. and then i every time we launch on a mission We take the external tanks and we shoot them over to uh, a stockpile area. And when I get 13 of them, um, we put them in a circle that would be one-third mile in diameter. And they had to have all kinds of special connections at each end uh, to allow them to hook on together. But I would do that on the ground with Martin Marietta, and that's called uh, scarage. And that's something that NASA refuses to let anybody do to the space shuttles. So um, I get 13 of these things built. They're in a one-third mile, one-third mile diameter loop. Then I run two more through the center, and the two in the center will remain weightlessness. The, you take hydroxine motors and spin the whole thing until you get it to a speed of 1G gravity field. So when you step out into the outer ring, you would feel the same gravity as Earth. That's where you build all your living quarters, food, exercise, all that stuff, entertainment. And then in the center is where you have all your labs, and they'd be in a weightless environment. So you wake up in the morning, you have slept in a gravity field, so your heart and your lungs and your muscles are all in good shape. Then you get Mm -hmm. to the weightless environment chambers, and this whole thing would be a space hospital. And mm-hmm. people, well, why would you want a hospital up there? Oh, God, you got a few days. It'll take me that long uh, to tell you how many projects could be done up there. But the pharmaceuticals and the ER rooms would be just unbelievable, be enough by themselves. But I would have. Sign me,
0: sign me up to work there, please. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, for instance, let's
1: say. Oh, one more more thing. Uh, You're going out of focus. Maybe you could be a little closer. Well, Mike, I'm getting
2: ready to say, let's say that you're in a car crash, a house fire. mm -hmm. Now your body's burned, second, third degree burns 90% of your body. Well, most of the time people die from that. Mm -hmm. But what they would do, they would put you in a med capsule into a med shuttle. The med Mm -hmm. shuttle would go up to the hospital. You wake Mm -hmm. up. And the first thing you notice you have no pain without any drugs. How is that possible? Amazing. Because when you burn your finger here on earth, you can feel your hot heart throbbing and the burn of your blisters. Yeah. Uh, that will not happen in space. There's no blood or no gravity for the blood to fight against. So the cardiovascular system and the epidermis level of your skin aren't having to fight gravity. So you won't feel that heartbeat. And mm-hmm. more than that, there won't be enough electrical signals carried through that for you to feel pain. So a burn, massive burn victim laying there with no pain, that, that's a good, that, that that's, be good I heard that. but that's just a start. <laughs> What's the number one killer of a massive burn victim? Infection. The cleanest hospital room on earth here would look like a pig pen compared yeah. to vacuum, chambers of an ER room on a space mm-hmm. hospital. Yes. So you don't have to worry about infection. And then something else happens. They We learned from 1974 and 75 on board Skylab that performed 5,000 experiments that practically nobody can tell me what the experiments are about. It's about space-based manufacturing and procedures. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we launched Skylab in '74, we got them up there. And Skylab is huge, it's big as a gymnasium inside. Mm-hmm. And so the crew that we sent up were not pilots. They were medical doctors and research scientists. So that's good because they're very brilliant in their fields. Bad because they're not disciplined that well. So one mm-hmm. of the doctors. Push off on one end of Skylab and heads to the other side. Hey, look, I'm Superman. Well, he's good as a medical doctor, but a lousy physicist. He forgot about inertia, momentum, and when you smack something, it's called kinetic energy. Well, mm. he hits fall the down there. He cuts his arm to the bone. Oh. Now, we never had anybody hurt like that before in orbit. So mm. they, call, they call down to Capcom. I'm sitting right next to him. And he says, yeah, what's up? Uh, we, uh, you know, Frank done fooled around up here and cut his arm. We're all doctors. We want to stitch him back up. He says he's not hurting, so I know it costs two billion dollars to get us all up here. We'd like to go on with the mission, and Capcom's going God, go on with the mission, you know. So sure. uh, they they went back to work, and then <laughs> three days later, we get another call from them. And they said, we need a private secure line for um, so the box is only for personnel of Houston. So Capcom stands up, he's about the color of snow, and he looked at me and he said, God, they killed somebody up there now. I said, We don't know that. Let's ask him. So we asked, what's up? And they said, we pulled the bandages off on this on Frank's arm here. We were going to clean it and uh, see how the stitches are doing. All the stitches are stuck to the bandage. He's not even—he doesn't even have a scar. It's like he's never been cut. Wow. Three days later, and they went, "What?" And
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah.
2: After, after scrambling around a little bit, we finally was able to replicate what was going on up there, and we found out something. Twenty-three things change in your body in a weightless environment. 23, you should know that number. Hmm. It's the number of chromosomes in your body. That makes us all different, so we don't all don't look like Pee Wee Herman. God help. <laughs> so anyway, when the chromosomes unchain themselves on the field of gravity, the first thing that they grab hold of is the white corpuscles, your anti-bacterial defense system in the bloodstream. And mm-hmm. it turns them into super white corpuscles. And they not only are stopping the infection, they're doing a cellular tissue regrowth at a speed that we can't even calculate. Wow. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about that massive burn victim that yeah. we've got up there in the space shuttle uh, hospital. They will, He or she will heal so fast,
0: yeah. they
2: will heal without scar tissue, not enough time to form. Crazy. Think that's yeah. worth going for? Why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing this? Nobody. You know what you did with the space shuttles? You took them all and shoved them into museums. Would you buy a brand new car? You know how much life was left on the space shuttle fleet? 66%. So would you buy a car, use it for 23%, 24%, and then you put it in a junkyard? Well, that's what you did with the fleet of shuttles. Wow. And successfully, you say, oh, private sector is going to take over and build it all. Where is it? Do you mm-hmm. see it anywhere? I don't see it. Mm-hmm.
0: Private
2: the private sector is not going to do a damn thing because it's been riding on the U.S. taxpayers' dollars to take the risks of R and D, and they're not going to reach out there and do this. Yeah. So you throw sh- you throw the shuttles into mothballs. Then more mm-hmm. you know, bonehead uh, Obama gets up there and says, "Well, we should party. This is a great experience." point for mm. what you just shut down and that you didn't just shut down the space hospital you shut down seven other projects that i built waiting wow. to go and what i'm telling you about is a little one you want to hear about the bigger ones yeah yeah okay i'll tell you
0: david 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 wait before you go i want to ask you a question can you yeah. see how blurry your image is i don't know if you're being. If you're experiencing yeah. a little sabotage, or I don't know what happened there.
2: Yeah, well, you know what? I can build all this stuff, but I can't run a.
0: That's a, okay. A
2: successful um, camera here. Let's see if we can make it focus. Hello there. Uh, it's it okay. We not, were, It may
0: rather, not.
2: I'd rather enough, hear you. It's okay. It may not have enough light. Um, yeah, I'm kind of. Either that's my glasses. No, I think I am blurry. Um, no, I think it's okay. Okay. It must be on so my it, end, I think.
0: Yeah. So, what's the bigger projects?
2: Let's see if I can make myself bigger here. <laughs> see, I would have technicians by the hundreds around me. I'll go, mm. fix that.
0: <laughs> yes, understood. Um,
2: but, man, some of the stuff that I'm talking about is um let's see the camera a bit
0: it's okay david that's okay i'd rather hear you oh there there you go there you go yay there
2: you are yep hey now everything else fails hit the damn thing it might work (laughs) (laughs) so um anyway that's um oh there's so many things waiting for us out there Yeah,
1: Before we we do anything, I want to maybe do a shout out to everybody that is watching and telling them that for those of you that joined us late, we are talking with David Adair about the phenomenal scientific achievements that he has uh, worked on and are working on and will be working on. So stay with us on this one, because this one's going to get good. And back to you, David.
2: Well um y'all you know, heard of mcdonnell douglas right aerospace corporation mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar operation um not exactly what you call a you know a you know a fly by night operation hardly <laughs> well they became one of my clients and they, this was one of the strangest projects the these medical doctors came up and they told me david We need help with an electrophoretic processor. Can you build one that work in orbit? I went, sure. But I got a question. What the hell is an electrophoretic processor? Mm. So (laughs) they showed me one. It looks like an aquarium. It's got opposing fluids in it that's floating around. Looks like an old 60s lava lamp. You can fire an electro charge through there. The electrons go in a straight line. The enzymes and hormones that are in there, they get the hots for the electrons and chase them like Pac-Man. And some run faster and others are slower. You get a layer effect. And that's how you separate enzymes and hormones here on Earth to manufacture vaccines and serums. Oh, Mm -hmm. boy, don't that ring a bell.
1: Mm -hmm. You
2: know, coronavirus and all this stuff. So there's a big need for that. Well, Mm -hmm. in 1984, we sent, I built an electrophoretic processor, a guy named Charlie Bell, and now his name was uh, Walker, Charlie Walker. Charlie Walker built it for McDonnell Douglas, and um, they, uh, it worked really well, so I told Charlie Charlie did a good job building that thing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you're going to have to run it. Yeah, I'll, I'll run it for you. Well, you're going to have to go about 150 miles from where you're standing. Uh, oh, where am I going? Uh, next town over? Uh, no, uh, Charlie, you're going to go 150 miles straight up. You're going to okay. become an astronaut. So after we got Charlie up off the floor, Charlie, Charlie Walker became the first commercial private astronaut oh and 1984 and you can look it it's all up on the internet it's under a, an entire brochure was made by McDonnell Douglas called the electric ferritic processor 1985. type it in at on the internet go read up on it I'm not making this crap up y'all I've done mm. it I'm telling you history okay. this' is old okay. stuff for us
0: so mm-hmm. we didn't build
2: one. Hell, why build one? You can build two for the price of one. So we built two of the electric processors. And the doctor said, there's something in that goo. We can fire a billion volts through there. It will never separate because of the gravity convection fields of the Earth while the electric processors are setting in labs in hospitals. Mm-hmm. But if you could build one, that would work on a space shuttle and plug into it. We could maybe get around that problem. So we did, and we did, and we didn't fly it just on one. We flew it on Challenger, Atlantis, Columbia, um, Pathfinder, all of them. So Charlie got up there and he fired up the electrolytic processor, and you can see pictures of this in the brochure that's on the line uh, on YouTube, I think, and you can watch the thing. So they fired it up. It clears to all the way to the bottom on the first pass of the first day. And the scientist said, there it is. That's what we've been looking for. So I look at it and I go, what, what is it? And they go, there are hormone crystals. Yeah. Well, what good are they? They said they're four times larger and 700 times pure than anything that ever existed on earth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. What does that mean? That means we can take these crystals, we can construct them in such a way that we can make a vaccine out of it. For what? You bring in a patient that's got this condition, we shoot them in the abdomen with it, the crystal goes straight toward the pancreas and will cause the pancreas to start making beta cells on its own, curing what is normally known as Diabetes. Yeah. What do you think that would be worth worldwide? Mm-hmm. About a trillion dollars? Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. said, You're kidding. We have the cure for diabetes in these two machines up here. And they said, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, hell, let's get started. We'll build an uh, electric-free processor items dedicated just to this process. Shuttles can come and go every six months and collect the material was and, and did you know a space shuttle could launch with 65,000 pounds of cargo in its cargo bay? Did you know that a space shuttle is just a glider a 99 ton glider but it can glide in and carry 37,500 pounds of products from space. Did you know that? Yeah nobody knew that
1: mm-hmm.
2: We did that built the shuttles and what'd you do with them? You put them in mothballs with no backup models to follow behind them. Oh, let's celebrate. Yeah, let's get drunk. Which I did and I shot my TV set. <laughs> yeah. So I it's irritating for me y'all. It's funny, but it's not funny because mm-hmm. the electrophridic processors just wasn't working on diabetes. There was another cell that we was working on,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a human cell. And it was very disruptive, but we could work at it at a DNA, RNA factor chain level while it's putting itself together, and it would tell us how to kill it at DNA. And mm-hmm. what's the name of the cell? The human cancer cell. Oh God! There goes another twenty-six trillion dollars. Yeah, we we'll yeah. want to do that. So you no. know what? You want know NASA told us to do with the electrophoretic processors? Pull them off the orbiters. Wrap them up in plastic, put them in the hanger, and don't ever talk about this again. And I'm going. Of course, I'm. I got a big mouth in the room. And I'm like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Why are we going to do this? And they said, "You're over industrializing space." And I'm going. Christ, the money is what we're hired for. We're space industrialists. We're we're manufacturing products. Oh, let. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to annihilate the entire pharmaceutical division yeah. of diabetes, probably all of cancer. Hmm. I guess we'll take out about $12 trillion of business. And I guess they got into your pocket at the Senate subcommittee, which runs NASA. So you probably put your hands in their pockets. And we're told we're over in dust, like the space. And now my two processors are gathering dust at this hangar. Yep. Yeah, that's right. No, And that's now we've just talked about space hospitals and space, some of space pharmaceuticals and there's 1,496 other pharmaceuticals waiting to go. And you were to see some of the stuff those things can do. Um, Do you know what else the rapid cell growth can do? Well, we found out something. And it came from a kid, of all things, a little third grader. <laughs> he asked me a question. He said, um, you know those blast lizards and snakes, they cut the tails off and they grow them back? Yeah. Well, why can't you do that with humans? And I went, oh, my God. What That's a thought. Funny. So I asked the medical scientists, and they looked at me, blinking their eyes, and they went, dear God, where'd you get this idea? I said, third grader. <laughs> So, with these processes in place in a space hospital, a person comes up from Iraq, an IED went off, both, both his legs and arms off, he grows them back, right to the fingernails. Huh. And I think that'd be worth a couple bucks. Yeah. It would be to the soldier. So, I was thinking, God, the things we can change. And then there's other areas, metals. You got any idea what I can do with metals up there? Well, let me tell you. Um, if you grab a, any type of piece of metal laying around the house, grab a silverware fork, look at it, put it on an electron microscope and you want the molecular structure looks like sheer chaos. Why? Because when the metal they were pouring and that one time that fork was molten metal, When it's casted and molded in shape, here comes the gravity convection fields of the planet of Earth again, and they start tearing up the metals. How so? The best that you can get with compatible alloys here on Earth in a blend is 64%, and that's it. First thing I melted up there was aluminum and lead, the Mm -hmm. lightest, heaviest elements of Earth, a 100% molecular blend well what does that mean that means we just opened the barn door to everything so by blending other compatible alloys and then i had a problem i got this 2000 degree glow worm on board skylab tell the astronauts dump it out they do and they're looking at it they're floating they're looking at this 2000 degree worm floating with them and they're going Hey, Frank, don't let that get in your underwear. You sure ain't going like that. And then they asked us a really interesting question. David, we melted your metal. How do we handle it? Uh, can't pour it into anything. There's no gravity. Can't inject it. It would be out of shape. Suddenly I'm faced with something called containerless processing. It's like trying to hammer jello to the wall or shoveling smoke
0: it's a little difficult
2: now so i give this talk to metaphysical communities god bless them (laughs) they look at this they go oh we know what to do with that i said really well i I discovered what to do with it by accident i said i think so that i think wait what do you do with it wait okay i want to hear
0: what he did with it (laughs)
2: Well, how are you going to shape metal in a weightless environment? It's the problem. So I said, uh, One of the astronauts was a little perturbed about the glowworm. He said, What well, if that glowworm goes over to the wall, melts a hole in the wall? We all look like linguini going out through a processor, and we're all going to be very unhappy about that. And I went, with Don't move around much. And let it cool down. So the astronauts were a little concerned, so they wanted to calm down. They plugged in some music. I think the guy was looking for something like uh, Montravani or Lawrence Welk or something easy going. <laughs> yeah, he grabbed the tape, the wall by Pink Floyd and throws it in. The vibrant rock and roll, the sound waves, move the metal everywhere. So I went, what? Wait. Give me a few minutes here. So... I go to the lab and I build, I take a Moog, M-O-O-G, a Moog synthesizer, keyboard. Oh. I plug it in to this computer I built, which is a computational computer that will take, let me back up. For every shape in the known geometric universe, circle, triangle, square, rectangle, oblique, whatever, um, I'll get corresponding sounds to it. Hmm. And I thought, oh, boy, we're on to something now. So I go Hmm. and get a bar scanner out of the grocery store. I think it was um, Kroger got it from. Anyway, you scan what you're wanting to replicate. And it's sitting there. And then in a six-speaker-sided box, you got this 60s lava lamp stuff floating in there. And you play the music. Mm. The sound waves come through the solution, hits the glob, and the glob becomes an absolute twin of what you just scanned. Wow. All with One one hundred thousandth of an inch controllable tolerance. One one hundred thousandth. Ball bearings, the best ball bearings on earth can not you get near half that. Mm. So, and then you remember the molecular structure of metal? I freeze the internal molecular structure of the metal in a pattern that, why reinvent the wheel? I copied honeycomb, Mother Nature, the Mm -hmm. strongest structure known to Mm -hmm. humanity. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Now, I brought back a piece of metal that was no thicker than my fingernail. But on a shear load test, It had a thousand times the strength of titanium. It weighed less than styrofoam of the same size, and it's crystal clear. Trans steel of the 24th century. Hello. Wow. And what were we told? Stop making it. Put your machines away. Well, let me guess. We're over industrializing again. Yes, you are. Well, let's Mm. see. I said, do you understand (laughs) before you Throw this one under the rug. Do you understand what's going with it? Like what? I can spin it down to a thread. So your little girl's in the front yard playing with her toys. Blood's coming this way. Crips coming this way. They got territorial problems. They open up with nine millimeter blasts everywhere. Your daughter gets hit five times in the back by nine millimeters. She comes in crying because it felt like bee stings. She hands you these things that look like pennies. They're the flattened out nine millimeter slug that hit our body armor that's machine washable. But no, we can't make that. How about earthquake proof bridges in hospitals? I could do that with this mm. stuff. I could go on for the next five days telling you things I could make. And I was told to can it. So it went. David,
0: did you hear about? Um... That new hospital they built in La Jolla, it was I'm supposed sorry. to be, uh, supposed to be earthquake mm, somewhat safe. Have you heard about that?
2: No, I'm not familiar with that.
0: It's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like spitting in the ocean compared to what you're talking oh, about. But I was just curious. I'm down yeah. doubt,
2: doubt that. It is. Um, it's yeah. amazing the amount of stuff I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I stay buried, you know, I keep buried in a lab and I crawl out and get sunlight once in a while so I don't look like a mushroom. But uh, <laughs> uh, a of, there's a lot of current event stuff. I'm just not there. Well, I can't yeah. even just, you know, of this. what's wrong with you? This camera up here can't stay focused. Yeah, I uh, think what we,
1: what we need to do is to see, too, that the attitude of the people that is supposedly at the top of the food chain in science, they need to change their attitudes a little bit so this can be
2: implemented.
1: Because you know what we are...
2: I'll tell you what would be ideal. Show them this stuff that I'm doing, show it to them in front of all the damn voters. Yeah. And let court let the court of public opinion weigh in on it. They're yeah. gonna say, Why in the hell are you not working on this stuff? You complain about you don't have enough money, but this. This screwball over here named Adair can crank yeah. out a project and pay for everything in one project. We got about ten of them. You know what's the problem? Yeah. What well, yeah. you got you got spineless, worthless leaders that let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Lobbyists, yeah. lobbyists to stick their hands in their pockets and kill everything for y'all. What do you yeah. think I'm building all this stuff for? It's not for me. Hell, I'm seventy years old next week.
0: Um, was, yeah.
2: I'll just kill over, you know, and all this is going to go with me. And I said, because I didn't come here to build weapon systems, I came here to build mechanisms that would free you into, yeah. Star Trek or whatever you want to envision it yeah. as.
1: And, and I know, I know you also have been working on uh, with some another government to possibly start, um. Uh, well, a different form of space program. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Talk it, about, uh, about, but that uh, could even involve going to the moon. And yeah. I know on, on one of the shows, you mentioned that there were 12 cities on the moon NASA told you not to go to. Oh,
2: yeah. There are talk about that. OK. <laughs> there was um this group of I don't know who they are, One percenters, I guess. They were started off in Saudi Arabia, then we went to the Philippines, and then we went to Las Vegas. It was the same group. And well, God bless them. You know, I I tell them, Do you understand how much money I need to do what I want to do? But if you put it down, I would pay every penny of it back, and you would make a fortune. But you know, I'm talking like I need 50 70 billion with a B to get started because one of the first things I have to do is order four new space shuttles. And if I would put an order in for that, that'd be the shot heard around the world because it would be in a lot of big groups, a no shit moment, because that means I'm here. I come with my own shuttle fleet and my space shuttles would not look like the space shuttles they put in the mothballs. I would pull the original blueprints from Rockwell international of the original space shuttle we never got. We asked for a Cadillac and we got a Ford Pinto. Mm -hmm. My shuttles would immediately look different. I have slides of what my shuttle would look like. Um, Mm -hmm. The first thing you notice, air breathing jet engines in the wings of the space shuttle. And you go, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. That means if you come in a rainstorm and you miss the runway, yeah, we just fly around and come back and land again. Damn, ain't that smart. Uh, The heat shield. There are 90,200 thermal tiles on each space shuttle. No two are alike, like snowflakes. On my new shuttles, zero tiles. One thermal blanket over the entire ship. Well, why didn't you do that in the beginning? Our technology wasn't up to it, but now it is. So my space shuttles would incorporate all the new technology. And these shuttles would be fantastic. Um, I could go for days just telling you about that. Um, Anyway, obviously, um, I know how to do this stuff. And there's something else I didn't tell you. Um, Way back in 1983, 84, 84, I flew out to Downey, California, and Al Ogram, who's retired, he was uh, the PR man of Bronco International. So he told me, he said, when you come out here again on your work, could you come over to Downey? I said, sure. So I went to the Downey plant, walked in the big corporate room, walked in this one big corporate conference room, giant table seats, about 100 people. And there was all these people sitting at this table, and I was asked to come in. And I'm looking at them, and I know their faces. They are families of Boeing, Lockheed, Martin, General Dynamics. All those companies are not ran by corporations. They are ran by families. Yeah. And I looked at all of them, and <laughs> I turned it out, and I said, did I do something wrong? Are y'all going to pop a cap in my ass? And it took them while to figure out what I was saying. And they started laughing. They said, no, we're just the opposite. We got something for you in the next room. I thought, I'm going to walk in there and they're going to shoot me dead and drag me in a plastic bag and I'm gone. So I said, what the hell? So I opened the door and I walk in and the room is just filled with all these props and 3D models and blueprints and overhead projections and 3,000 slides. And I said, what is all this stuff? I said, it's all of our original business plans, and NASA doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give it to you. We're going to give them all to you. All the families are giving all of the original business plans to you. You mm-hmm. seem to have more luck than anybody getting through the stuff. And I'm going, God mm-hmm. Almighty, people. I said, it'd take an overseas container to get that home, and it did. Mm-hmm. I, so have all David- my, I have all that in my garage right now.
0: That's amazing. You're amazing, and there's a there's a message in the chat room for you. And I would like to know if it's if it's um if it's really a message for you, and if it's meaningful. Um, it's from Holotech R and D, and the message is: Hey guys, tell David Smarty is watching, and we are putting together. Never thought I'd see those two guys together we're putting together a manufacturing facility where he can produce anything he wants. Does that make any sense to you? Oh,
2: yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, I've, I've got all the original business plans. All I need is the funding, and I would be a a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. I would rebirth the entire space program all over again, and we go a mm-hmm. different way this time. He was talking about going back to the moon. Damn right, go back to the moon. Where am I gonna go? The first 12 sites I'm going to are the 12 sites that NASA say we can't go to. Mm. You know, what, that big arch.
0: Are, you know, the big what?
2: arch. Well, there's an arch on the moon. Uh, the arch in St. Louis is like 600 feet. This thing's three miles. Who the hell built that and for what reason? Then exactly. There's big, uh, well, there's these big cannons and towers and things looks like a radar dish. Let's go see what that is. Let's walk <laughs> up on it and knock on the door. See if somebody's home. You know, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And people think the moon is a celestial body. It is not. Chris Kraft, not the guy that built the boats, but a former head of NASA. Look him up, Chris Kraft. He said it's a lot easier to describe. Why we shouldn't have a moon instead of having a moon. Yeah. That moon should not be there, y'all. Look at it. Mm. Compared to Earth, it's too big. The Earth does not have the gravitational mass, and I can prove it on a blackboard through celestial mechanics. We do not have the mass to capture a moon that big, much less <clears throat> captured in a what we call a, um, tidal grip. The moon does not spin in an orbit around us. One side faces us 24-7. No other satellite, no other moon in the solar system does that. And the cosmologists, not the hairdresser people, but the people that work in astronomy, They'll tell you the time when there was a sky in of earth that had no moon. So much for the theories that something crashed in at the beginning of the big bang, blew a big chunk of the earth out and it became the moon. Mm. Yeah. Well, If you believe that, let me tell you about Santa Claus and Bugs Bunny and, you know, Easter rabbit and all that stuff. It's bull. It's not real. Somebody... Flew the moon here and parked it like an RB, and they've been there ever since. And I don't know who they are. I think Neil Armstrong had an encounter with them, mm. and I think I figured out why we never went back. It's not some big conspiracy theory, all elaborate. You know what it's called? Littering. Mm. We left four hundred thousand pounds of junk on the moon. Wow, Whole rockets nose cones, cameras, Pioneer 1. Remember them? Yeah. We went to the moon, bang, crash, junk still laying there. 96 96 bags of astronaut feces. They had to drop it somewhere. So you throw that all over the moon. (laughs) You a flag and saying, hey, I'm going to come back here and live. And that's on your roof. That's on your roof. So you walk out to a crater, call an astronaut over here. Guy named Neil Armstrong probably, and say, you having a good time? Glad. Collect dust, pick up some rocks, take some pictures, and get the hell off our moon and don't ever come back because you're a bunch of pigs.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got thrown out for
2: littering, you know? So when I yeah. say we go back to the moon, I'm not joking about, let's find a back door and knock on it and ask if we can come in there if you share it with us and we'll behave better. And mm-hmm. a good faith thing that we do we clean up all the crap we left on the moon, haul right. it out of there, and you take it back to Sotheby's and sell it through an auction pay for the whole damn project. <laughs>
0: That's funny. So we Save only that. have about three Just minutes left, bring. David. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I get you. I get you. We have yeah. about three minutes left, and Augie usually has a question that he likes to ask our guests before we close. and. Augie,
2: you want to ask David? We would love to yeah. have you back, David. Oh, please go ahead.
1: Yeah, that yeah, they definitely need to come back. Uh, I um, I, I'm gonna take yeah. I do want to ask you that question, but there's one more, just
2: slight. Oh, thought. Well, you that sure I, it? what is I like your question.
1: Okay, <laughs> uh, maybe you could follow my thinking. I know the moon cannot theoretically possibly hold the orbit that it has. It cannot happen. Because right. we know the size size of Earth, we know how heavy it is, we know what the gravity it puts out, we know the size of the Moon, the gravity it puts yep. out, and yeah. the speed right. around. So right. it's too big to hold the orbit. But... Right. If there was a huge cavity inside of Earth and a huge cavity inside of the moon, then it could hold the orbit that it has. Otherwise, it needs to be about two-thirds further out. Am I <laughs> on to something here? Yeah,
2: oh, oh, yeah, you are. Um, I hate this question that I'm about to ask. It comes up all the time at dinner. And they'll go around the table and they go, where were you when you were watching Neil Armstrong walk on the moon? And I thought, God, I hate this. The question (laughs) comes to me, and I have two options. One, lie and tell everybody. Mm -hmm. I was at home watching on TV with my parents. Or B, tell the truth. Ah, The truth is a little harder to grab, y'all. So uh, I said, well, I was in... Stephan and Viola Armstrong—that's the name of Neil Armstrong's parents. I was yeah. in her home in Wapakoneta, Ohio, 45 minutes by car from my house. I was leaning back against Viola Armstrong's knees, and the seven Mercury astronauts were on the floor in front of me, and we were watching Neil walk on the moon. And when Neil was sleeping on the moon that night, I was sleeping in his childhood bed. Viola Armstrong was my surrogate mother. Wow. And so, mm-hmm. did I know Neil? Does a wild bear cramp in woods? Yes, I did. Um, mm-hmm. What I learned, what happened, Viola was very shy and quiet, meek little lady. God, I loved her. But she was made a dignitary mother, the first man on the moon, by Governor Gilligan of Ohio. We call it Gilligan's Isle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, her job was to hang medals around the winner's necks. And after about the sixth or seventh medal she hung in three weeks on my neck, she sat back and looked at me and she goes, what are you doing, child? I said, I guess I'm a little busy. She <laughs> said, come over to my house and hang out with me. And I did. Best thing I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there because she was the mother of the first man on the moon. I was there because she was teach me how to can, you know, green beans, potatoes, even chicken. Ah. And when we can there, Viola was in charge of the German co-op. So we didn't can three or 400 jars a season. We can that many in a day. We can 30,000, 36,000 jars in a season.
1: Yeah. And all the wine... I see now that we are totally running out of time, but uh, there is one more question I want to ask you, and that is one that is kind of blindsiding some of the guests, but it's a good one, and that is, if you could speak to the whole world and the world is listening, what would you tell them?
2: Forget about me. I'm not that important. I'm, I'm as common as dirt. Don't list, Don't pay attention to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Mm. Or move on these projects. That's uh, Congressman uh, Green or, um, no, he's retired, Reed. He called me to come and testify at the congressional hearing. I said, no, I won't. And he goes, why? I said, I don't trust any of you. And I go, why? I trust you about as much as being a babysitter for my children. You're a Catholic priest. So he went, oh, you're hostile. Yes, I am. Do y'all remember what the governor of Arizona did to those people at the Arizona Lights? We found the pilot of that ship, the big triangle lights. And the governor had a guy walk in in a rubber suit. He was a gray. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. You just trashed everybody. I can't wait to see what you're going to do in Washington. So what I'm telling I'm telling you this for this reason. The pilot named David of the F-14 on the panel, he said, you got him on tape. He said, there's a UFO the size of an aircraft carrier. It's too big to move. We built a building around it. Why, I would ask the congressman, why did you not jump up out of your seat and go, take us to that building. Take us to that site. Let us see who's running it. Who's paying the power bill? You know, take the cameras in. Let everybody see this stuff. You're just listening, you're not doing anything. Stop doing that. You gotta start making things happen. The the world is circling the drain, y'all. Yep. And it's yeah. It's so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. There's no reason for y'all to be in this condition. Uh um, yep. I had ability, I still have the ability to push all of you screaming and chickens yep. into a Star Trek environment.
1: Yeah, I think you're you know, right. It, we 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 are done with the talking now. It needs to be doing. Yeah, so so but now I have it's an en- just- I have an engine
2: that can. It yeah. would take you, if you want to go to the to the yeah. closest galaxy.
1: Yeah, we we are totally light out- years. Uh, I can get
2: you got, there in eight, eight minutes. It,
1: we got to have you back, David. We're just totally out of time, so. Uh, I yeah, am. I'm, uh, I'm bad. We will hope to have you back very soon. So uh, thank we'll you very you much for see.
2: being with us. Mm-hmm. Well, thank, thank you, you for having me on, and uh, let me do Bullwinkle, with Professor Nodal here. <laughs> really, and, good. Uh,
0: really good, really yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll thank have you. you back on really soon, and thank you everybody for being here. Thank you if you're watching on the replay. Hope your holidays have been lovely and I can't create in your world and you can't create in my world, but together we can create what we have in our mind, our intention for 2024 together. We can do that. So hold the vision guys. Much love everybody. We'll see you next week.
1: Thank you.